Welcome to the Dollars and Dumbbells podcast. I'm your host, Justin Green, a certified financial planner and CFO for online coaches, and I'm on a mission to help online coaches keep more money in their pockets. If you're building an online service business and you want to learn how to grow your profits, manage your money, and pay less taxes all while pursuing your dream life, then you're in the right place. Justin Green is the founder of AssistFP, a financial planning firm, and Be a Wealthy Coach LLC, an outsourced CFO service. All opinions expressed in this episode are mine solely and not reflective of AssistFP or Be a Wealthy Coach. As always, this podcast is not advice and it is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Always consult with your own financial tax and or legal advisor before making any decisions. Welcome back to the Dollars and Dumbbells podcast. I am your host, Justin Green, and I am so excited to bring you my conversation today with Andy Baker. Andy's going to give you his own bio, but just briefly, he has owned a gym since 2007. He's really highly respected in the fitness industry. And I actually found him from a friend, Jonathan from Digital Barbell, uh, referred me over to an episode that Andy did on business and finances. And it was it was amazing. I will I will link to it in the show notes, but it, it was I felt like I was listening to myself. That's how good it was. So I reached out to Andy, got him on here, and really excited to bring this conversation to you guys. I've actually got a couple conversations planned for you in the weeks ahead. Uh, fingers crossed, I will actually be having a baby this week. So I've planned out these conversations, really excited to share them with you and excited to kick this off with Andy talking about finances in your business. In the meantime, check out the Wealthy Weekend. You can find the link in my Instagram bio or in the show notes, but I share financial tips for online coaches and how to manage the money in and out of their business. Each week I drop this on Friday in the afternoon, so that way you can read this over the weekend. And you can hit the ground running Monday morning. Let's dive into the episode with Andy Baker. Andy, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Let everyone know. Where are you calling in from? Um, I am in Kingwood, Texas, which is uh, about 30 minutes directly north of Houston, Texas. Gotcha. And give us a, a brief background on who's Andy Baker. What do you got going on? Tell us a little bit more about you. Um, well, I've been in the uh, I've been in the fitness business almost 20 years now. Um, actually technically a little over 20 years, but, um, I've got a gym, um, that I started back here in 2007. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's still going strong and, um, it's a little personal training studio, uh, type of thing that I do here. And then, um, I've also, I had the opportunity several years ago, what kind of got me on the map a little bit was I had the opportunity to co-write a couple of books, uh, with Mark Ripito, who a lot of people will know as the the founder and the author of uh, Starting Strength, which is kind of one of the preeminent texts in our field in terms of beginners, you know, barbell based strength training. Um, I was fortunate enough to meet Rip and become friends with him. And through our discussions, um, you know, um, I was fortunate enough to be brought on uh, to co-write um, some of the other textbooks kind of in that canon. So that kind of put me on the map and from there, I've expanded into doing a lot of online coaching, online program design, um, and that sort of thing. So, I'm a I'm a I'm a coach full time. So I spend half gotcha. my day coaching people in the gym, and the other half coaching people online. Very cool. So starting a gym in 2007, so survived the the recession and then survived COVID. So I, you know, you've definitely learned a thing or two over the years. I'm sure from those two experiences. Well, you know, with the, in 2007, 
it was kind of a unique experience. Um, I was just fresh out of the, out of the Marine Corps. And, um, I still had, as they say, I still had sand behind my ears. And, um, but you know, I had always had a, I had always had a love and a passion, um, for strength training and fitness. And so I had always kind of known, like I wanted to open my own gym and, um, but I wasn't ready to pull the trigger on that yet. So I was doing what most guys do, which is working as a trainer Mm -hmm. in other gyms. And, um, you know, like a lot of people, I wasn't super satisfied with that, but it was, it was, you know, at the time it paid the bills for the most part. And then I got on at this little gym as like kind of a trainer and assistant manager. And it was, it was much more my speed. It wasn't like the Globo gym type of thing. It was actually similar to what I do now, a little personal training type of gym. And, um, that was going really good. I was making decent money. Then I showed up one day for a Saturday session and there were chains on the door you know, oh. to the facility. And, um, yeah. I called my boss at the time and I was like, Hey, what's up? And he was like, yeah, sorry, man. He's like, we're done. I had no idea. And at the time my wife was pregnant with our first. Oh, man. And so it was like, well, let's revisit that whole opening a gym thing, you know? And so I just pulled the trigger on it. And it's kind of like that, you know, burn the boats type of deal where failure wasn't really an option. So, you know, I just opened the door, signed a lease on a real small space, used what little bit of money I had to buy some, you know, cheap used equipment and, and dove in and, you know, here I am still going. So. Dude, that's awesome. Do do you feel like, um, that experience, like, do you feel like you were more focused on the, the business finances because of that? Like, like you said, you didn't know that your old gym, you know, was going under or couldn't pay the rent or whatever it was that caused them to do it. But did that kind of like, was that a kind of like a, an alert for you of like, Oh, I need to pay more attention to that when I run my gym. Yeah. I mean, right from the get go, I, I had an awareness of like, okay, why did this other gym fail? Because it, it was in a good location. Um, you know, the guy that ran it was, uh, he was an intelligent guy. I, I felt like he was a smart business guy. He was definitely smart. Uh, as a trainer. So it, it seemed like it should have worked. Um, I thought the the business model was what little I knew about a business model. I felt like it was good, but I think it was a problem of, of really debt. Um, yeah. Starting, trying to start too big, you know, having more employees than they had customers maybe at the time. And, you know, um, just not, not growing at a, at a, you know, at a slower pace. So I think I was, I was very cognizant early on of watching, my spending, watching my overhead, um, you know, starting, I started small, started with no debt. I try to make a goal of trying to grow, especially at first with no debt. Um, you know, not taking out huge loans for brand new equipment. I learned pretty on that the clients, the, the clients didn't really care about the equipment as long as it mm-hmm. worked and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't covered in rust and filth or whatever. If it was, you know, old is okay. As long as it works. You know, so, you know, I kept a a small place, but nice and neat and clean and kept my overhead really low. I didn't take on more gym than I could handle, you know, and in those days I did all the work. I still do basically all the work myself, but, um, you know, if, if, if I could do it versus paying somebody to do it at that time, then that's what I did. And, um, until I had enough, you know, until I had enough cash flow coming in to where now I'm much more likely to farm things out that eat up too much of my time. But at the beginning, you know, you have to really, you just have to really watch your spending until you get enough people coming in. I look to try to do free marketing versus paid marketing, um, you know, that kind of stuff. And so, you know, and it worked. 
Yeah, early on. So, you know, I always tell people, I work with a lot of online coaches. Uh, you know, I've worked with a couple gym owners, but it's more online coaches, obviously, because, you know, they can do it very lean. They can start with like no money, right? You do need a little bit of money usually to start the gym. Um, and I always tell, I tell them like early on, there's time and money. Those are your two resources when you're building the business, right? Early on, you have no money. So you got all the time in the world to do everything yourself. If you don't know how to do it, learn it. You know, whether it's the finance, the marketing, the sales, you know, to if you own a gym, cleaning the gym, right? You have the time, you don't have the money. So right now you got to make the best use of your time. As you grow and you have money, you stop having so much time available. That's when you start to use your money to buy back time. Absolutely. But I find, you know, what really hurts people is, is to your point, is taking on too much debt early. And this happens even for online businesses, which is even more frustrating because it's not as like I could actually see how a gym owner might need to if they don't have the runway like they do. You do need equipment and you need rent. Right. But with an online business, you really don't need any of that. So there's even less of an argument for it. Um, but the early debt will kill them. Um, and then the you know, the the trying to outsource everything early on. I did a post about this a while ago. It's like you're outsourcing. It's really just you overspending. Um, and kind of trip some people up and they got all mad but you know it's the reality in the early years you just got to bootstrap it and I, I feel like that's kind of it's not sexy anymore nobody wants to do that and so um it's it's awesome to hear you kind of talk about that story of like dude my back was against the wall i had baby on the way and i still didn't go out and put it all on credit cards you know what i mean like i still yeah. did everything i could to cash flow this well, you know, and if it's like, you know, if it didn't work, which, which really, I, I, I kind of try to remove that thought through from my mind, but it's like, you know, if it didn't work, then at least I wasn't on the hook for, you know, tens of thousands of dollars in debt when I got done. So if I had to shut it down and, you know, go dig ditches or whatever, which I was, I would have been willing to do, you know, then at least I wouldn't have had debt, you know, and like you said, for now, sure. you know, if you fast forward, you know, now almost 20 years later, um, you know, now you're right. I have less time at the time I had a baby on the way, but you know, now I've got kids that are 14, 13 and eight, and they're all up to their eyeballs and stuff. And, mm -hmm. you know, um, plus you get a little bit older, you get a little less, a little less energy for the late nights and the weekends and, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's like when you're in your twenties and stuff, that's the time your energy is high and you can kind of burn the candle at both ends. Um, you know, and you can make it, but the older you get, the, the harder that becomes to do. And so your time does become more valuable, especially when you have a family. Mm -hmm. I feel like, you know, when you're, if you're single, no kids or whatever, then that it, it might be a little bit of a different, um, you know, a little bit different outlook for you. But certainly when family is involved, then your time becomes very, very important. And so you have to really think about what you choose to spend time and money on, um, you know, in that regard. But yeah, I feel, I do feel like there's a lot of um, I feel like in this industry and probably all industries, I just don't, I don't look at every industry, but sure. you've kind of, you've kind of got these two like unrealistic paradigms that come out of like social media and, and book writing and all that. And one is like the, you got to grind and hustle 24 seven, the work never stops. You know, if you're not up at 5am and work until work until midnight, you're not a real entrepreneur and you got to work seven days a week. And I mean, there's some reality to that. There are times when, when that's necessary, but the reality is, is that's not a real sustainable habit for most mm -hmm. people. And then the other end of that is the, you know, only, only work in your expertise. You know, if you're the, if you're the business owner 
you know, you should, you should never be cleaning the bathrooms. You should never be doing the books. You should never be doing, you should only work in your area of expertise and farm everything out, which again, has some truth to it, but there's a time in and a theory place. that's right. Yeah. In right. theory, that's right. Right. But that's not from day one, you know, yep. from, from day yeah. one that's, and, and so I feel like, like with most things, the truth is kind of in the middle. Like you got to have enough smarts to kind of sort out where you are in that spectrum and, you know, and how much of that stuff can, you can afford to farm out and how much of it you need to be taken on and doing it yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. Um, and so, you know, kind of letting everyone listen, that's listening. Um, the reason I found you was, you know, our, our mutual friend, Jonathan, over at Digital Barbell, uh, he listened to your podcast. You you dropped an amazing episode on the person or the, the finances. I think you called it like Finance 101. Um, and you talked mostly business, but a little bit of personal as well. And dude, it was a phenomenal episode. I, I hear coaches talk about money all the time and it makes me cringe, you know, business coaches, some of the worst advice I've ever heard comes from business coaches. Uh, uh, some of the worst financial advice I've ever heard comes from business coaches. And so when Jonathan sent this over to me, I was like, I don't even want to listen to this. I saw the title personal finance 101. Um, but I gave it the benefit of the doubt because, you know, I really respect Jonathan. So I, I gave it a listen. I was like blown away. I was like, this is this is top notch. Like I wish more coaches, more uh, gym owners would hear this. And honestly, business owners in general, there was just so much good advice that you dropped in there. Um, and so kudos to you, because, you know, I just want to let you know that was that was a credible episode as a financial planner. I listened to it and I literally had nothing wrong with it. There was a couple maybe minute details. But one of my favorite lines that you were like, you said, um, if you have, a, like, if I'm wrong, let me know. Like, if I said something wrong, I probably did. Let me know. But if you just have a different opinion, I don't really care. You don't need to tell me that. Right. <laughs> and I really like that because there's so many different ways to build wealth, right? And you mentioned that. Yeah. Um, and it is. Like, there's no one right way. And I, I think coaches get caught up in that sometimes, like, even with just building the business, right? Not even talking about building wealth. It's just like, there's not just one right way, right? Like, you're doing it with a gym and online training, um, some people will do it all online. Some people will do it all, you know, in person with a gym. Some will franchise out gyms, right? There's so many different ways you can do this. What works best with you? What works best with your family? Um, and you know, you really need to consider those goals. So yeah, that was my favorite line from that whole podcast. <laughs> well, it's just, it's one of those things where, you know, people say, well, where do you, you know, where do you learn how to do this or, or like what, what path is successful? And, and part of it is, is just paying attention to your own trajectory paying attention to, you know, I, I consider myself an observationalist. I, I, I really learned by just observing. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, reading books is good. Watching YouTube videos, you know, you know, whatever to kind of self-educate that can all be helpful. But the reality is, is I've always liked, it's just kind of like in fitness. It's like, it's one, yeah, you can like read it, read articles and all this kind of stuff, but, but, there, but you're going to learn more by watching somebody who's like really, really in shape you know, and has, it's like where, where you want to be in terms of your fitness, like watch what they do. Like, what is, you know, what are their habits, you know, and then replicate that because the formula just like in fitness is it's kind of always the same. Right. I mean, it's it. Yeah. And so there, there's certain habits that very, very, um, you know, in shape people are going to have. And so, um, observe what those people are doing and see what it really takes. And, and for me, I took that approach with, with money, which was, uh, it was, I was very fortunate at the time because one of the great things about being a personal trainer is especially when you're young, when you start out is you're going to be working with people that have a lot more money than you do. You know, if you're charging, you know, if you're charging the right rate, you're going to attract people that can afford 
you know, $75 an hour personal training sessions, which, you know, that's going to come out to three, four, five, six hundred $600 a month out of their budget. You're going to be able to, you're going to be working with people that can afford that as a, as a recreational, um, they, you know, personal trainer is, is, is not something that people have to have. It's, it's, it's an elective expense. And so people that are able to elect to have this kind of optional expense in their budget, they have money and, and you start to observe certain things about these people, certain commonalities. And the great thing for me was not only was I able to kind of observe, you know, their, their, their habits and their behaviors, but I had a lot of clients that were, you know, older guys in particularly, maybe in their late forties, fifties and sixties who had already built wealth, were established in their businesses and that saw me as a young kid that had, I had a lot of drive. I had a lot of passion, um, but I didn't have any sense. And, you know, they, they were willing to kind of take me under their wing and say, Hey, let's, you know, in between sets here, let's talk a little bit about how you're running your business or how you're, what are you doing with the money that you make? You know, how are you investing it? How are you saving it? You know, they were, they were freely, I, I didn't even necessarily have to pick their brain about it. They were, they were very free with their advice, you know? And so that your, my clients were a great resource for me early on. Um, and again, they were, they weren't trying to sell me anything. Um, they had no, you know, other than keeping me employed as their trainer, if they were, if, if they were happy with me as their trainer, they wanted to see me succeed financially so that I could continue to do, um, you know, what I was doing. So that was, I was fortunate in that position that I was aware enough that I had these great resources in my gym, you know, and so that I was receiving an education on investing and saving and, you know, managing a business and all that from my clients for free. So sometimes it's, you know, the resources are right there under your nose. You don't necessarily have to pay $10,000 for a business coach, you know, or, or whatever. And so, um, you know, that's something to think about depending on what industry you're in. And sometimes you have opportunities to learn that are, that are right there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think learning from outside the, the industry too is helpful, right? So everyone, you know, there's a lot of people who kind of rise to the top and you learn from them in the fitness industry, but kind of looking outside into other industries can be really helpful as well. I take a lot from the fitness industry for building my business on the finance side. Uh, I'm curious. So did you ever get bad advice for any of those clients? Cause I hear that. And I think like, wow, well you had some really smart people giving you good advice. Cause I could see that going really poorly as well. Right? Like there's a lot of wealthy people that unfortunately, because making money and managing money are two different skills, right? Yeah. And, and so someone can make a lot of money and then give really bad advice on how to manage it. You know what I mean? I, I agree. Um, you know, I can't, I can't really point to anything in particular. I felt like, and I don't know if it's just innate or whatever, that I've always had a pretty decent filter. Um, so when I got advice that came in, if it didn't, if it didn't square with me, um, I was, you know, cause w- one of the big things is on like risk management, uh, mm-hmm. or, or ri- not risk management, but risk tolerance. Yep. Um, and, and I, I do believe that that is, um, fundamentally something that's just kind of innate with people. And some guys have almost an unlimited tolerance for risk and they will take big swings on investments, um, starting businesses, taking out huge loans. And, you know, sometimes those things work out for them and sometimes they don't, and they just, they just move on to the next thing. And it doesn't, you know, it doesn't give them ulcers and it doesn't put them in the hospital with stress and anxiety. Um, it doesn't affect their ability to, um, you know, they don't, they don't, they don't bring that stress and all that home, um, you know, to their family and that sort of thing. And I always just felt like for me, 
that, you know, taking out, you know, making those big risks, taking those big swings in terms of, you know, taking on huge amounts of debt and trying to go, trying to go real big. I've always felt like I didn't have that capacity for risk tolerance. Um, and so I always stayed, you know, and there's something to be said from getting outside your comfort zone, but it's like not too far, you know, mm-hmm. or, 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 and I think a lot of times people take those big swings and they don't, it's not just risk tolerance. They don't really have the knowledge and the skill set to do that. So recognizing when you're out over your skis and you're getting in something that's too, that's too much for you, either because you don't have the personality to deal with it, or you just, you have to be objective with yourself. Like I don't have the, I really don't have the capacity yet to, to run something like this. You know um, even if I had the tolerance for it, I don't have the expertise and the knowledge, you know? And so I think I always had a decent filter to kind of, take advice and be able to, to run it through that and figure out if, if that it's not necessarily, was it good, good advice or bad advice, but did it apply to me? You know, was it that's so, huge. so yeah, yeah, that self-awareness is huge because I will see a lot of people who they will get maybe not bad advice. Like it might actually be decent advice from an entrepreneur who is very risk tolerant. Like they just have, you know, they can take risk and it, like you were just saying, right. But the person getting the advice doesn't have that same tolerance, but they hear it from this person that they admire and they say, well, well, what about this? Like, should I put all my money here or should I go all in on this or that? And it's like, I've been listening to you for the last year and I can tell you that that would, you would never sleep again if, if you took that risk, you know what I mean? Uh, but if they, you know, some, some will do that and they're not comfortable with that risk. And like, to your point, it's like that stress will just eat you alive if you make those decisions early on and um, you know, there's a difference between risk tolerance and risk capacity. Right. And so that's kind of risk tolerance. Risk capacity is more of a, like, do you have the money? Do you have the runway? Like if you took this risk, do you actually have the capacity to take it? Like, do you have the, the foundation to allow you to do that and not like blow up if it goes wrong? Right. Right. So, that's there's kind of a difference there and um just kind of wanted to point that out is like there's how tolerant are you but then even like do you have the money to take the risk like what's the capacity there uh because the reality is when you have it's it's kind of paradoxical but when you have more money you can take more risk even if you're not tolerant of it because you have more of a backstop to protect you right? yeah it's i mean in, in a way it's like going to a casino right if the, i mean i'm not a gambler Whoa. but but you know but <laughs> i gotta if, see where this is going first <laughs> well you know i so I, i'm not a gambler but what what i what i tell people that's just again it's not my personality to but if i was going to tell somebody if you want to go to a casino you want to take 500 dollars and go to a casino you say all right you're going you're going to take whatever amount of money that you can basically you're expecting you to come home with nothing you know, and if you can go and justify blowing five hundred dollars on on at the casino and saying, "Well, that's just five hundred dollars I spent on recreation and entertainment," like that's okay. But if you're like struggling how to pay your, how are you going to like put food on the table? Like, you know, you've got your checking accounts coming down to zero every month. Then you shouldn't be taking five hundred dollars to the casino because that's a big loss. And it's kind of the same thing in business. Like you said, you might take a gamble on something. You got to kind of weigh it. Okay, if this if this gamble turns out to be an utter disaster. Can I, you know, can I reshuffle the cards and, and, and go on about my day or is, am I going to lose my business? Am I going to lose my house? Am I going to, you know, so you have to, you have to really weigh what is the price of failure with this? And if it's too big, then you got to really, you got to really think about it. 
Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree, actually. I didn't know where you were going to head with that because some people compare like investing with gambling. And I'm like, no, 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 two completely different things. Like, yeah, investing is like kind of being the house. You know what I mean? Right. Over the long term, you usually always win. You know, not guaranteed, right? You know, disclaimer there, not guaranteed, but over the long term, the odds are in your favor. Uh, But no, to your point, like making decisions in the business like that, it is a gamble. And I totally agree with exactly how you how you worded that. what like were there any mistakes you made early on as a business owner? Um, you know, I I was asking my wife about this actually last night, kind of prepping for this uh, podcast because it was like, what's the uh, you, you had asked b- before, like, the what's most a, irrational? It, yeah, the what's the most irrational, like, over emotional decision that you've made? And I was trying to think, and it's like, I'm not a super. Well, I'm not, I don't view myself as irrational. I'm not hyper emotional either. Mm-hmm. I, I, I tend to view myself, I'm pretty objective. And I, I would say that, and my wife had a great point on this. She said, actually, you need to turn that question around because some of the mistakes that we've made have been being too cautious and not jumping on, and not jumping on opportunities that were there because I was so risk averse and conservative. Um, I had an opportunity. There was a, a big gym here um, that went out of business here in town and looking back, um, that the, the, the gym itself had got bought by a school, a private school. And mm-hmm. we, through a family connection, we, we knew the people that, that kind of ran this private school and they called me and they knew I was a gym owner and they said, Hey, we're, we got to get this equipment out of here. And we, we don't know, we don't really know what we have. We just need somebody to come in here and, you know, make us an offer and buy it. And, and, you, you know, looking back, I got a lot of good stuff, like a lot of good equipment out of that, um, for pretty cheap. But but really, I was I was thinking too small. I pr- I probably could have bought that entire gym, all the equipment, all the cardio stuff. Um, you know, they were selling spin bikes for like fifty, a hundred dollars. There was a lot of opportunity there to 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 really. Um, even if I had just bought all that stuff and put it in storage, and then mm-hmm. se- and, and didn't know what to do with it for a while, there were some opportunities there. There was um, that I could have jumped on. I you know I could have bought a a, a a pretty sizable gym in terms of equipment um, for pennies on the dollar. And I, and I passed on it and I only took a handful of things that I really wanted and needed at the time. Um, uh, but just kind of thinking too small, um, in that moment. So I kind of kicked myself cause I'd never be able to go back and buy that much equipment for, um, you know, for that, um, for that amount of money. So, but I didn't really have a, a plan of what to do with it. And so, mm-hmm. um, it would have been, but I, again, I could have, I could have stuck all that stuff in storage for a year and then just sold it if I didn't come sure. up with a good use for it and I still would have made money. So right. kind of just thinking too small, um, on that, there's been some opportunities to upgrade my space, um, that I had, um, buildings that came available, lease spaces that came available that were bigger, um, that, you know, looking back now, I probably should have pulled the trigger on. Um, and I didn't, I mean, I'm happy, I'm happy with where I'm at and, and all that sort of stuff. But I, I would say a lot of my mistakes has come, have come from being maybe too conservative. Um, and so that's, you know, I didn't get myself in a, in, in any trouble, but I may have missed out on some opportunities. You know, you, you never know because those, it's all hypothetical what, what would or wouldn't have happened. Um, yeah. but you know, I've always been real conservative with, uh, the way I've spent money at the gym and I've always had a focus. I got some advice from a client one time and I thought it was good advice. She was actually, a she was actually a CPA that did a lot of mm-hmm. bookkeeping for, um, doctors and dentists and such. And she said, you know, one of the biggest mistakes that I see with some of these clients that I work with is they're, they're obsessed with constantly reinvesting back into their business. Yep. And while that, while that's not a bad thing, 
if you take every extra dollar that you earn and put it back into the business, um, you know, sometimes you just get a really big business that's just feeding itself. And, you know, 20 years go by and you've, you've made a whole lot of money, but you don't have a lot to show for it. Yeah, I actually talk about this and I think you talked about it a little bit in the podcast and I was like, wow, that's spot on. And it was cool to hear you talk about it because this is something that I talk about as well Is like, so if you're building a business, right, you've got really two options, right? You can build a business to sell it, which as a gym owner is actually a possibility, right? As an online coach, it's a lower probability mm-hmm. of selling your business. It's really based, a lot of it is based on your personal brand. Um, I've heard of a couple coaches selling it, but it's tricky, it's hard, and it's not as lucrative as you might think, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're investing all your money back into the business, but it's not going to sell in the future, okay, so we got to take that option off the table, right? Because most businesses, that's what happens. You invest all of it back into the business for five to 10 years, but you know down the road you're selling this business and you're going to get a big lump sum payout. And then you're going to pretty much live off of that either for the rest of your life or it's going to fuel your next opportunity, whatever, right? But you're going to have an ROI from that one sale of exiting the business, right? That's not really a a practical option for many coaches, uh, but it is for gym owners. Now, the other option is, right? So if you're not going to do that and you know that's not really uh, practical, what's the other option? Milk the cash flow, right? So it's a cash flow cow. You milk it, right? And so you got to figure out, and this is one of my missions, honestly, with working with online coaches is helping them learn how to manage the business finances. But it's more than that, right? I want to go a step further. Like the CPAs and accountants, they'll do that. They'll help you with that. That's their expertise. But I want to help them do that. But then also leverage how we made the business efficient, leverage that and maximize it in their personal life. Because I think that's where the big gap exists for online coaches is that, they don't take enough money out of the business. And then, you know, it could be different areas. They could reinvest it. You know, you talked about self-employment retirement accounts. Actually, my last episode was on that. So you could, well, by the time this launches, it'll be a couple episodes ago. But anyways, um, you can invest it into the stock market. You can invest money into real estate. You know, I'm not a big crypto guy, but if that's your thing, it could be that. It could be, you know, whatever, multiple different ways to build wealth. But if you're not taking it out of the business and you have no intention of selling the business, then how are you ever leveraging the money that you're investing back into the business? Yeah. So I think just creating awareness for that is really helpful for coaches to understand. Yeah. And I had, you know, that, that was a conscious decision that I made um, at a certain point in time was that, you know, what is the, on the long-term future of this, you know, what am I really trying to do? Um, And growth for the sake of growth is not a good strategy uh, because growth is expensive. And sometimes mm-hmm. gr- growth doesn't mean more profit. It, yeah, it means more revenue. Sometimes usually. it means worse. It, yeah, exactly. Because, <laughs> you know, and that's the, you know, that's the thing with this, with this business, you don't want more space, more equipment, more staff, all of that's an expense. And like you said, if you can, if that's your goal is to sell it, there's a couple of things here though. You got to remember if you're going to try to sell a business one mo- and here's this, again, this was my observation watching people in this industry. Most of the time when they quote sold their business, what they meant was they sold the equipment that and that, but the business itself that, you know, a lot of times it doesn't, you, you have to realize like, is you, if you own a personal training studio, like a very mm-hmm. small gym, first of all, you have to remember what is the product that you're selling? Well, the product is you, you know, right. when people are coming to my gym, they're coming to see me. 
And so another trainer to step in and say, I'm going to buy your business. Well, you know, even, I mean, you, there, yeah, you can get people on contracts and all that kind of stuff, but it's, that stuff's a little harder to enforce in the personal training realm. Uh, it's not necessarily a bad idea, but people are there because they have a relationship with you, you know, or with me as the trainer. And that's not something that you can just step out necessarily. And another guy steps in and every, and that's when people go to buy businesses, that's what they're looking for. They're, they're looking to walk in and just kind of change, put the, put a different name on the door or whatever, or keep the same name and, and just kind of take over that cash flow. But, but when they have to, I was just going to say, they're buying the cash flow is essentially what they're buying. And so, but when you're, when you're the brand, you know, when Andy Baker is the brand that makes it a little harder to sell. Right. Um, because the next guy coming in, is not going to be that. And even if he's a good trainer, it's just not me. And so, and people are there because of me. And I think as a trainer, you need to be aware of that, that people, yeah, they're buying fitness and they're buying weight loss or they're buying your methods and whatever, but they're really buying you, um, Mm -hmm. as the trainer. And that's not that easy to replace. And the, the savvy, the savvy, investor that's looking to come in and buy a business is not going to look at buying a business that's built on a personal brand like that. Um, you know, and so it's, it's, it's very difficult to do. Um, you know, the other part of that is that, um, you have to look at who, who generally is, is, would be looking to buy a, uh, you know, a, a, a small gym type business like that. Well, it's mm-hmm. usually going to be a young trainer that's looking to exit the, um, you know, the grind of working at a gold gym or something like that. Well, they don't have any money. I mean, just like me, when I was 25 years old, I didn't have any money to buy. Uh, you know, I didn't have any money to buy a business from somebody and, you know, some 25 year old kid or whatever wanted to come in and buy my gym for me. You know, I, and I couldn't in good conscience tell him to go take out a massive loan and pay me all this kind of money to buy the business. Cause I know it's likely not going to work for him. Um, and so you have to really look at, there's some ethical considerations with that. And then just the reality of who's looking to come in and, and buy this thing. Um, you know, a couple instances where I've seen, seen it work is, is the gym has to get pretty big where you've got to get, yeah. you've got to, you've got to get a lot of people. Um, you've, you know, where the owner basically doesn't do anything except own and operate. Um, he's got a sales staff, he's got a training staff, he's got front desk people. He's got all of these systems in place where that system, gym basically... Yeah. Yeah, where that gym runs without him um, and is generating a lot of revenue on contract, you know, automatic debit. So if you're a trainer and you do a lot, you take cash or checks or what you don't have people on automatic drafts and that sort of thing, that business is not sellable. So the only gyms that are really going to be sellable to like a, a chain, you know, if you want to have, you know, uh, life, lifetime fitness or LA fitness or somebody walk in and buy that gym, they need to be able to walk in and just put their sign on the front door. Um, and that's really, really hard to do. Um, I've only seen it work really. I know it's, I know it, there's other examples, but here locally, I've only seen that work one time. Um, and most of the time when people get out and quote, sell their business, they're really just selling the equipment. Yeah, no, you make, you make really good points there. And I'm not, I've never been involved with anyone selling a gym, so I don't have a lot of background on this, but you know, one thing I was thinking of as we were, I was listening to you talk is like, an internal succession would probably be the most likely scenario Mm -hmm. to actually make any money off a sale. And you know what that just means is like, if you had that young guy looking to get out of the grind of a gold's gym or whatever, you know, you put him under your wing for a couple of years, your brand starts to co-mingle. Like it's not just Andy now it's like Justin and Andy. And then you've got people coming for Justin. Um, And then, you know, to your point, they don't have 
enough money to buy it. You don't want to make them get a loan. You could sell or finance it, with act- which actually has some tax benefits because you're spreading out the payments. Uh, but you still have a lot of risk on your end, but it's better than, you know, just walking away, shutting the doors and not making any money. Uh, but that's like, that's in theory too, right? Like you have to find someone who's actually wants to do that. Like you have to find the right person. And then, you know, well, what if, you know, they come on and for three years they think they're taking over, but you're like, you know what, I want to keep doing this another 10 years. Right. And so it's, that's, there's a lot more behavioral things behind the scenes and something like that. But that, that would be the most likely scenario that I could see where you really can make a really great exit other than, you know, like you said, you grow big and, you know, a global chain comes in and can swoop it off your feet. Yeah. I mean, and that's, I mean, usually that's again, those, you don't, you just don't see that happen very often. Usually when you see the new big gyms come in um, you know, they're, they're building their model from scratch because they've got a proven model that works um, and they're not, it's very hard for an individual to build that same model. So I've definitely, I made a conscious decision a long time ago that, you know, if I sell the gym at some point, which I will, you know, it'll, I'll make whatever I make off of it, but that's, that's, that's just going to be gravy. And that the way that I was going to use this business to build wealth was, was with the cash flow and to take as much money out of that business as possible. Um, you know, once I got it to where it, you know, it generates a good, uh, revenue for me, um, you know, and has, in a place where I want, then now I'm going to take as much money out of that business as I can and invest it into my future self, which is, and again, I just kind of went, and here's where in that last podcast, I was talking about people have different opinions. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you know, you know, you're going to, the, the stock market guys are going to tell you don't ever do real estate. The real estate guys are tell, tell you don't ever put money in the stock market. The reality is I've watched people make money both ways. Both and, ways you know, and, and, and a lot of guys are doing, a co- you know, combinations of the two. Um, and so, and that's what I'm doing. You know, I'm trying to do combinations of the two. Um, but that's, you know, if I was constantly taking that money and putting it back into the business, then, you know, I may not have a lot to show for it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and one thing I want to point out earlier that I didn't mention is if you are building a cash flowing business and you're milking it, uh, and it does still make sense to invest back into the business at a certain percentage because then sure. you're, you're investing in future cash flow, right? You're growing your future. So I want to make sure because I realized after I said that it sounded like it was like, don't invest into the business at all. You know, that's not true because you want to grow the cash flow, but you also don't want to invest all of it back into it. Um, and then, you know, as you're talking about, like, that's that's the plan you went with. You know, listening to that last episode, it, it was really cool to hear it because it was clear that you have. So I think most successful businesses are successful because of systems. Like every time I talk to a successful business owner, it's very clear whether it's a written down system or not. There is a very good system going on behind the scenes for, you know, operating sales, marketing, whatever it is. Um, but everyone forgets about the financial system. And when I heard you on that episode, it was very clear that you have, whether it's written down, whether it's in a workflow, whatever it is, doesn't matter. You have a very clear financial system. Like you set aside X amount for taxes, you set aside X amount for investments, you, you know, you transfer it over, you separate your personal and your business. Like it was very clear. You've got a system in place, which I think is huge. Yeah. And, and, and it's a very simple system. I mean, I could write it out on, on one piece of paper. It's not some it's super like elaborate. <laughs> yeah, it really is. But part of that is, and I think part of that is, is building, like I said, having, um, I really do think that, you know, when you look at your, you open up your banking, you know, platform, whatever, wellsfargo.com or whatever, whoever you're doing Never your banking with or whoever, you know, you're, Never you're doing Wells with, Fargo. I, I kind of agree. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, but whoever you're too many scandals, whoever you're using, um, you know, that the online banking platform is a, is a, is a great tool to just, you know, you have separate accounts open that you can see all at once. And every single time that you get paid and it doesn't matter if it's a hundred bucks or 10,000 bucks, when you receive a payment uh, that those, that money is a certain percentage is going to be taken out immediately for taxes, because that's a, that's an area where a lot of people mess up. Um, that first that are, year really gets people. The first yeah. good year hurts a lot of business owners. Yeah. The first year that I made a lot, you know, the first year I didn't make very much. The second year I, I made a, a, a quite a bit more money than the first year. And, and it, it, it did, I mean, I was, I, I got it all paid, but it was, um, you know, it, it was a lot more than I expected. And so at that's that point on, the, sorry, that's, that's actually the, the trap, right? Is the first year you don't make a lot of money. And so you're like, oh, you don't worry about it. So then that second year or third year, whenever you hit that clip of, okay, this is legit money. It's like you, you didn't realize, okay, I do have to worry about it because year one wasn't bad. That's right. the trap I actually see a lot. It's, so it's funny you said that. Sorry to interrupt. No, but it's, I mean, and a lot of people have a hard time with that, but you have to understand like that money's not yours. It's whether, you know, whatever your philosophical beliefs are about taxation, are we overtaxed? Yes, of course. You know, does the government waste our money? Yes, of course, but they're coming to get that money regardless. So if you're going to go into business for yourself, then that money has to be paid and it's better to keep the IRS off your back. Um, and so, you know, immediately I always tell people like, you know, take 25% off the top immediately. If you get paid a hundred bucks, $25 goes into your tax account. You know, if you get paid, you know, 10,000 bucks, $2,500 goes into your tax account, like immediately. Um, and you have to learn to operate off of less than what you make. And you, if you operate like that money is yours and you'll, I'll just figure out a way to come back and pay it later. Um, you're always going to be struggling to, to, cause those quarterly payments, which a lot of people don't realize when they first start, you know, we, we pay taxes different as entrepreneurs and that, that money, you got to write those checks four times a year. Um, and usually there's a fifth one in there if you do pretty good, cause you're going to owe a little bit. So, um, you know, it's usually, uh, but you want to have that money saved up and ready to go and not scrambling, you know, every quarter to figure out where am I going to get these, where am I going to get the money to pay these quarterly taxes? Um, and so having that has been a big stress reliever for me of just knowing that I'm always, you know, I'm always up to date on the tax stuff and I don't ever have, to, I'm not always behind and paying penalties and all that kind of stuff. And it just helps you sleep better at night for one thing. And then having another certain, uh, you know, certain percentage of the money that you make, um, you know, that gets siphoned up off the top that gets invested into things outside of your business, putting money into IRAs or, um, you know, whatever it is that you're going to invest in. But mm -hmm. I think that's, that's really important. I think it's, it's important for, it's a way to keep score on your business, which, you know, and it's like, well, is money the only reason that we're in business? No, but it's, it's one of the only things that we can count. It's yep. one of the only things that we can quantify. It's hard to quantify freedom and self-satisfaction and autonomy and all those are all reasons that, that you go into business, but it's, it's nice to see, you know, at the end of the year that, Hey, you know, not only did I make enough income to, you know, pay for my house and put food on the table for my family and have, you know, cars that work and, you know, clothe my kids for school and all that kind of stuff. Like that's good. But also that, that I, I, at the end of this year, I have, I have this much more in the bank or in this investment account. It's a way to, you know, it, it gives you some positive momentum, you know, it's kind of a, a score. And I, so I feel like if nothing else, you know, trying to, you know, if 
you know, start out by trying to max out like a Roth IRA or something like that, you know, because it's a, it's a, it gives you a goal to shoot for of like, well, how much money do I set aside? Well, it, it's hard to know, but the, you know, they set those limits for you of that 6,000 or 6,500 or whatever it is. And it's like, okay, just start with that. Like try to try to, you know, how much is $6,500 a year in a Roth IRA? How much is that per month? You know, divide that by 12 and say, okay, I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to put at least that amount away per month. So at the end of it, at the end of every year, if I've done nothing else, I've maxed out a Roth IRA. Like, well, that's like, that's pretty good. That's a good start, especially better for a young, most. it's better than most, especially for a young guy, you know, and the earlier that you can start that, you know, and it just gets, it also gets you in the habit off of living on less than what you actually make. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And and you even talked about this in your pod. I think it was you in your podcast. And you were like, if you start with 50 bucks a month, then start there, right? And, you know, the reality is, is like, I tell people all the time, like, because I'll hear this a lot. It's like, oh, when I make more money, I'll do X. It's like, you're not going to get better at managing your money when it's 100,000, whether, you know, 100,000 or at 250,000. I don't care. Like if you're not good at 100,000, you're not going to get better all of a sudden at 250,000. And so, you know, the cool thing about that listening to you on the episode is like you hit a lot of the behavioral aspects as well, right? Yeah. It's like money is about building habits. It, money and fitness, like they go hand in hand. It's it's they're both, they're both very simple. Not easy. Both are very simple concepts at the end of the day. Um and like, you know, just starting the habits, whether it's $50, hundred bucks, whatever, but like learning how to manage the money when it's a smaller pot will avoid a lot of mistakes when it's a bigger pot of money you're handling, you know what well, I mean? And having the discipline to do it, because I can tell you this, when I first started, you know, most of the checks that I would receive or the payments that I, that I would receive from were smaller, right? You're, you don't sure. typically get the big lump sums or whatever. So disciplining yourself to take $50 out of a $200 check, that that builds the discipline to take $2,500 out of a $10,000 check. Cause believe me, you're when, when you're, when you get paid a bigger, you know, bigger sums of money and you're, and you're, you have to take a, you know, a larger, a larger amount off the top and put it over here for taxes or put it over here for savings. Like you're looking at that $2,500 and saying, well, what could I do with that? Like, I don't want to set it over here and put it in the bank or, or send it to the IRS. Like, but you've built the habit working with smaller sums of money. So you've disciplined yourself to just say, no matter the sum, whether it's 50 bucks or 2,500 or whatever, that, that, that money has to be siphoned off the top and put to, um, you know, either taxes or paying your future self. And that's, that's one of the things that I, I like, I think that language is almost important is when you're talking about saving or investing is you're not giving it to Vanguard or Fidelity or whatever, you're giving it to your future self. You're, you're paying, I look at it as I'm paying 70 year old Andy who doesn't want to work, who doesn't want to be a trainer anymore, who wants to, you know, sit on my ranch and, you know, yell at the traffic or whatever, you know, I'm, I'm paying <laughs> that, that I'm giving that guy the ability to do that and, and having to worry less about money. And so I think that that, if you look at it as you're not paying somebody else, you're, you're paying your future self, um, that makes it easier to do. Yeah, no, that's, you know, I love how you talked about future self. Um, cause it's huge and I love, and this is the last thing that we're going to wrap it up. Cause I could talk for another couple hours with you about this stuff. That's how you know much I love it. And I feel like everything you say, we're so aligned with, but you know, the future self is huge. And, and when you frame it that way, it becomes less about retirement, right? Because I think a lot of young coaches, it's like, I'm not going to retire. And you address this as well as you're like, 
yeah, you might think that now, but in like 10, 15 years, like you're going to be a little bit more tired and, and it's not just about retirement either. Right. It's about having the flexibility, to it's do options. Whatever, whatever the hell you want. You know what I mean? Right. Like, you know, whether you want to leave this business, you want to do something else, you know, whether something happens and the business no longer becomes lucrative, right? Like, you know, for gyms, COVID did that to a lot of people, right? They mm -hmm. had, if you had money in the bank, either you could with, withstand the storm or you could decide to go do something else, right? And so it's just all about having flexibility and options. And I just try and tell, you know, I try and tell coaches that all the time. It's not just retirement, you know what I mean? Like, it's about building that life that whatever that life is you want to you want to build, you know, it's about doing that. Well, I mean, I can see myself, you know, if I fast forward, you know, 25 years to where I'm, you know, in my sixties or, or whatever. I mean, so maybe I don't want to fully retire, but maybe, you know, coaching people is, is tiring. Sure. Um, and you know, maybe I just want to do it, you know, Tuesdays and Thursdays, you know, and I want to take 10, I want to keep 10 clients. I'll, I'll, I'll rent space from somebody else's gym. I don't want to have the headache of owning my own gym, but I still love coaching people. I can still bring in a little bit of revenue and, you know, it gives me the option to kind of semi-retire. You know, I can, I can work uh Tuesday went, cause I know guys that do that. Then they basically have these businesses that were at one time, big businesses and they've, they've scaled them way down. Um, and not just in the fitness business, I mean, across industries yeah. and, you know, maybe they work, um, you know, Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday, and then Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, they spend at their ranch, you know, or doing it as, you know, whatever it is that they want to do. And so they're able, it kind of gives them, cause I, I'm, I'm with you, like on retirement, like the idea of just stop working and just sit there and do nothing. Um, it's probably kind of crazy, right? Yeah, it, 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 it kind of does. And, and yeah. honestly, you watch a lot of people do that and they, they, they retire they and then two, <laughs> two years later, they, yeah, they, they, yeah, they, they die. So I think there's something almost metaphysical about having um, a purpose and having something to do, but you may not want to do it, you know, 40 to 60 hours a week. You might want to do it 20 hours a week and then spend the rest of the time with the ability to travel or the ability to, you know, if you've got a vacation home at, or you want to, whatever your hobbies are, you want to golf or you want to hunt and fish like I do, you know, you have the ability to do that and you're not always trying to just squeeze it into a, a Saturday or whatever. Um, and so I think you can build a, a to me, that's, that sounds like a, a pretty decent retirement and I can still do what I love to do, which is, which is coach people and train people. Um, but I don't necessarily have to do it all the time and I can do it on my terms. Exactly. You just hit the, you hit the nail on the head right there. You don't have to do any of it because you have the option and you can do it on your own terms. Dude, this was an awesome conversation. Let everyone know. So I know you've got the option for, you know, you, you help coaches out our consultations, let people know more about that, how they can find you on that and, and where else, you know, they can find, find more from you. Yeah. So the best place to go is um, just my hub website, which is andybaker.com. Um, most of the stuff on that site is directly training and fitness related. It's, you know, training mm -hmm. programs and all that. But I also do a, um, I also do like 60 minute phone consultations with coaches. I, it's not a, it's not a formal coaching program um, type of thing. It's just, if somebody wants to call and talk to a guy that's in the business that, that, that is still practicing, uh, you know, as a coach, as a trainer, as a small gym owner, and just pick their brain for an hour about whether it's marketing or sales or how to train clients. Um, you know, that sort of thing. I, I do that kind of stuff all the time because as I was telling you before we got on, mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's kind of what I did starting out was, um, you know, I would, I would contact coaches that were in the industry that were, 
you know, I, I were watching, I was watching them doing what I wanted to do in terms of the way their business operated that seemed to be doing it right and being successful as a coach, a trainer, gym owner. And I, you know, I'd contact them and say, Hey, how, how much can I pay you for an hour of your time to just hop on the phone? And can I just ask you some questions, whether it was about marketing or sales or like training systems for clients and that sort of thing, um, to improve my business. And that was, that was really, really helpful to me. Um, you know, and, and not necessarily being part of a full spectrum business coaching program, just being able to pick people. So I have that same option. If people want to call and pick my brain about, um, business marketing, training systems, whatever you can find that at, uh, andybaker.com. And then I've got, um, my podcast, the Baker barbell podcast, which is, again, it's probably 90% training stuff. Um, but I've got a few business episodes on there as well. So finance one, but also just some, like some business related, like how to train clients, like training systems that actually, that actually work as a part of like your business. Um, so there's some good resources there as well. Cool. I will link to the the finance episode for sure in the show notes, uh, and the podcast, and I'll link out to your website as well. I think that's an awesome option because, you know, I see as a finance guy, I see so many coaches who they hop into these very expensive, ongoing, high commitment programs where it's like, dude, you could learn so much one just from free content to start, but then also just having the ability to hop on someone who's, you know, almost got 20 years of owning a gym, you know, for 250 bucks an hour is it's so much more valuable in my opinion than getting locked into like hurting your ongoing cash flow by locking into a big program. So um, that's awesome that you offer that. Yeah. And some of these coaching programs, I would just say as a buyer beware to people, um, you know, investigate your source before you invest in, and I'm not saying like I've done coaching programs and some of them have been really, really good. And some of them have been eh, not so much. Like I would say, investigate your source. Um, you know, don't do a coaching program from a guy that doesn't, isn't practicing what he preaches. It's like, well, you know, and, and be very careful about some of these are very high ticket offerings. They prey on desperate trainers and desperate gym owners that aren't, um, that aren't doing well. And they, they do sell it as, Hey, this $10,000 or, or whatever for this coaching program. Um, that's a reinvestment back into your business. And you're, you're going to make that back 10 X. Well, maybe so, maybe no. Um, but it's, it's probably not necessary to front up that kind of cash, um, when you could get a lot more with just, you know, paying somebody's hourly rate for a phone call. But Andy, it's a write-off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that was another thing we got into, right? Don't, don't <laughs> spend money so you can write it off. Like yep. that's never a good justification. I agree hundred percent. Andy, thanks so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate you for having me. Hey coaches. Did you enjoy this episode? If so, then you'll definitely enjoy my weekly newsletter, the wealthy weekend. Every Friday afternoon, I share actionable tips and stories on how to be a wealthy coach that allows you to get 1% better even on the weekends. Check out the show notes to sign up or hit the link in my Instagram bio at JustinGreenFP. All right, coaches, until next time, be wealthy.